The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com, your daily morning podcast, updating you on everything you need to know to win your fantasy baseball league. Here's your host, Chad Young. Hello and welcome to the First Pitch Podcast. As the man said, my name is Chad Young. Busy Sunday, as always. Started off with Teoscar Hernandez, reinstated from the paternity list, back in Toronto's lineup Sunday, going two for three with a walk, double, and an RBI. Short absence as expected, and you can safely plug him into your weekly lineups today. Sir Anthony Dominguez was activated from the IL Sunday for the Phillies, but was not plugged into the closer's role. Dominguez got a hold, pitching the eighth inning and going one, two, three with the K. David Robertson was still the man in the ninth, getting his 19th save by striking out a trio of Nats in order. I expect Dominguez will get some save chances, but clearly it is not just his job. The Twins lost Chris Archer to the IL a day after he had to exit his start early. That keeps him out until almost the last week of the season. That's the best case scenario. You can safely drop him if you are still using him. Twins replaced him with Josh Winder, who got the start Sunday, trying to save the Twins from a sweep at the hands of Cleveland. Winder wasn't bad, giving up two runs on four hits and a walk with four strikeouts, giving up solo shots to Andreas Jimenez and Steven Kwan. Kwan, by the way, had a three-hit day and also stole a base in that one. But Winder lasted just four innings and took the loss. He should get a repeat matchup with the Guardians, and he isn't a terrible streaming option when that happens, but keep in mind, K's will be hard to come by, and he may not last long enough for a W. Starling Marte placed in the IL after injuring his finger a few days ago. The Mets called up prospect Mark Vientos to take his place. Vientos made his debut as the DH, hitting 8th, and was 0 for 5 with two strikeouts and six men left on base. Not a great start, but it's just one game. He's got a strong season going in AAA, had a cup of coffee in AAA last year that was just as good. He has big raw power, and if his hit tool is good enough to get to that power, he can be an impact bat, but you can see on Sunday why that's still a question. Brent Honeywell Jr., once a top prospect in the Rays system, has been on rehab assignment for the A's and needed to be activated soon. Given his poor performance on rehab, his ERA is over eight. The A's put him on waivers, and once he cleared, outrighted him to the minors where he can continue to work his way back. Years of injuries have ruined any real shot he had, but he'll keep trying and the talent makes him worth checking in on once in a while. The Rangers DFA'd Kohei Arihara, who has just never found success since coming to MLB. With John Gray due back today, they have a full rotation, even with Kohei on his way out. 
A couple of starting pitchers due back soon. Mentioned John Gray will be on the Hill for Texas today. Zach Eflin will be back Tuesday. Eflin may or may not slide back into the rotation for the Phils. As of right now, I can't see any clear reports on when he's starting, and it doesn't look like he's starting Tuesday. Bailey Falter listed as the probable for that day, and he's been excellent lately. Some updates on some injuries. DJ LeMahieu told reporters he was hoping to return to the Yankees for the next homestand, which starts September 20th. Sounds like Aaron Boone is not as optimistic, though he is hopeful he'll have Anthony Rizzo back within a week. Harrison Bader, who hasn't played for the Yankees since being acquired from Jordan Montgomery at the deadline, is starting a rehab assignment and could be back soon. But given the length of his absence, there'll probably be at least a week of a rehab assignment before he's ready. We got an update on Tim Anderson from the White Sox as well, but it isn't much for fantasy managers to get excited about. Anderson visiting a hand specialist on Tuesday to determine next steps. Even if that next step is to get going right away, he's at least a week to 10 days from returning, and that might be optimistic. David Bednar may be a step closer than that. He threw a bullpen session this weekend and could start a rehab assignment soon. He should be rostered everywhere and in lineups once he's back. Justin Verlander might be even closer than that as he threw a bullpen session today. He prepped for that like a start, apparently, and if he continues to feel good afterwards, he could be back as soon as late this week, though I suspect the Astros will take their time. They really don't need him till October. None of their games matter until then. The Yankees option Ben Rortvet back to the minors with an off day today that suggests they expect to have Jose Trevino back for their series at Fenway starting Tuesday. Some injuries and early departures on Sunday. Mitch Haniger left the Mariners' dramatic comeback before they came back. He has lower back tightness, and we'll have to see today how they decide to proceed. The M's are off. They have a quick two-game series with the Padres starting tomorrow, so don't be surprised if we don't hear much until tomorrow. If you have to set a weekly lineup, he's probably a bench. Even if he plays, they have just five games this week, and there's a chance he needs an IL stint. Josh Harrison scratched from the White Sox lineup due to illness, but should be back soon, likely by the time they play tomorrow. Wander Franco was pulled early as well, but nothing to worry about there. With the Yanks up big, the Rays just pulled their young star to keep him fresh and healthy. Max Kepler removed from the Twins game with what was announced as a right leg contusion after he fouled a pitch off his leg. Hopefully that means he's ready to go for their series with KC that starts tomorrow. Our action on the field Sunday. Big day for Reese Hoskins, who was 2 for 3 with a walk, 2 runs, 4 RBIs, thanks to his 28th home run. Hoskins is 12th in the Rasball player rater at first base and has an outside shot at setting a new career high for home runs. It's worth noting that his 291 bat pip isn't high, but it is well above his 273 career mark. He's doing that with fewer fly balls and more line drives, which suggests the bat pip might be legit, but I'm not sure it's actually a good change for him. If he boosted the fly ball rate up to his career level, he'd be much closer to that career high in home runs right now. Greg Allen with a combo meal Sunday going two for three, his second home run in his eighth stolen base, scoring two, driving in one. The power is not real. He won't get a lot more of those home runs, but he will get you stolen bases if you're desperate. Glaber Torres might be heating up. He was two for four Sunday with a pair of home runs, two runs, four RBIs. That's three home runs in his last six games and five hits in his last three games. He's been on my bench lately, but I had him back in the lineup Sunday and he's going to stay there for a bit. Brandon Nimmo almost landed on my bench due to a left-handed starting pitcher facing him. Made me look foolish for even considering that. He went two for four with a run, three RBIs, two walks, his 14th home run, and his first stolen base. He's more valuable in points in OVP leagues, but he is a useful bat everywhere. Brian Anderson made noise in that same game, hitting his seventh and eighth home runs on the year. 
Anderson's been pretty bad this year, and despite the hot night, hasn't really improved lately. Since returning from the IL on August 12th, he had a 52 WRC+. plus That was going into play Sunday, so it's gone up a little bit, but not enough to get you interested. Rowdy Telez didn't want to have to wait a day longer to get to 30 home runs, so he hit two Sunday, going three for five, two runs and four RBIs. Just having a great power year. But note that on the Rasball player radar, where we heard that Hoskins was 12th at first base, He's just number 17 at the position. The low average hurts and the runs in RBIs really haven't been great either, especially given the 30 home runs. Tony Kemp put up four runs, three RBIs, went three for four, hit his fifth home run on Sunday. That's a huge day. And while I'm still not a Kemp fan, it at least deserves a mention. Before the year started, I expected Justin Turner to be a top tier third baseman and he's playing like that again, finally. He hit his 12th and 13th home run Sunday and I'm treating him like a stud the rest of the way. The most exciting place to be Sunday was Seattle, where the AL and NL Rookie of the Year candidates campaigned with a pair of home runs apiece. Michael Harris, two for four, two runs and four RBIs with his two homers, while Julio Rodriguez was three for four with two runs and two RBIs with his two homers. He also added a walk just for good measure. These guys are both stars and look like they will be for a long time. By the way, A. Eugenio Suarez wants you to remember that not just young players can hit two home runs in a game. He was two for four with two runs, two RBIs, and his second home run of the game walked it off for the M's. One final combo meal on the night as giant shortstop Tyro Estrada hit his 13th home run, stole his 18th base in a two for four effort with a run and an RBI. Estrada hasn't been elite exactly, but he is on a full season pace of 18 home runs and 24 stolen bases. Can't argue with that. Other home runs around the game, Alec Bohm hit his 11th, Albert Pujols hit his 18th and is now at 697 for his career, Tyler O'Neill hit his 14th, Jack Swinski got his 16th, Giancarlo Stanton his 26th, Oswaldo Cabrera got his first, Thomas Nito hit his first, he also had three hits, three runs, and three RBIs. Eduardo Escobar hit his 17th, Choe Otani hit his 34th, Andrew Velasquez hit his 9th. Mauricio Dubon hit his fifth, Alex Bregman is 21st, Trey Mancini his 17th, Jordan Alvarez is 32nd, Kyle Tucker is 25th, and yes, it does feel like I just named the entire Astros lineup. Michael Massey hit his second, Willie Adamas got his 18th, Alejo Lopez hit his first for the Reds, Adelis Garcia hit his 24th, and Leody Tavares hit his fourth, Ryan McMahon got his 16th, Ramon Laureano got his 13th, Chris Taylor his 9th, Trey Turner hit his 20th, Jake Cronenworth number 16, Austin Riley number 36. Robbie Grossman got a 6, Wilmer Flores hit his 18th, and Seiya Suzuki hit lucky number 13. As for stolen bases, Rugnet Odor stole his 6th, Tommy Pham swiped his 8th, O'Neill Cruz got his 7th, Jeff McNeil his 4th, Jose Altuve his 16th, Miles Straw stole number 17, Gilberto Celestino stole his 2nd, Bubba Thompson nabbed his 12th and 13th, Adam Frazier stole his 9th, Ronald Acuna Jr. is up to 27, Rafael Ortega swiped his 12th, and Lewis Brinson got his 1st. Finally, in case you were wondering how the Diamondbacks feel about Brian Servant and the Rockies' ability to limit the running game, Stone Garrett stole his 2nd and 3rd, Christian Walker stole his 1st and it was home, Emmanuel Rivera stole his 1st, Jake McCarthy stole his 17th, and Dalton Varsho stole his 10th. Moving our attention to the hurlers. The scoreless inning streak is over. It was destined to end at Coors, of course. But Zach Allen, three runs on four hits, six innings pitched with 11 strikeouts and no walks, thanks to 19 whiffs and a 36% CSW. And yeah, that'll do just fine, especially at Coors. Shane Bieber, still an ace, and it showed again Sunday. Six and a third in Minnesota, striking out seven, walking just one. Allowed one run and five hits for the win and the quality start. Just keep riding him. 
Speaking of aces, Brandon Woodruff struck out 11 red Sunday, allowing just two runs on five hits and a walk over six. I'm counting on a big month from him to close things out. Brady Singer got the Tigers and just smothered them, striking out six, walking one over seven shutout innings with four hits allowed. He had a 38% CSW. That was the high on the day. He's been really good since late June, and after two rough starts, it was nice to see him get back on track. I'm inclined to trust him next time out. Speaking of trusting guys, why do I keep sitting Martin Perez for tough matchups? I have no idea because he just handles them fine. Against the Jays on Sunday, Six innings for the W and the quality start, a lot of run on six hits, seven strikeouts, two walks. He's now over a K per inning since June 21st. He gets Tampa Bay next time and I'll be ready. Cole Irvin finally cooled off the White Sox going seven innings, allowing two earned runs and one unearned run on four hits, two walks. He struck out five. Nothing here good enough to trust him in the tough matchups he has coming up, so maybe it doesn't really matter a whole lot. Rich Hill lasted only five innings, but that was enough for the win as he didn't allow a run on two hits and three walks with seven Ks. Just eight whiffs makes it hard to understand how he got those seven Ks, but still very solid start. With the Royals next, I think he's worth the risk, but he is a little bit risky. Marco Gonzalez was let down by his pen, a rarity in the Northwest, but went six innings of one run ball, allowing two hits and no walks, striking out five. No winner quality start for him, though. Kyle Bradish took the loss despite pitching well. Seven innings of one run ball, allowing two hits, two walks, but just three strikeouts. As of today, Bradish isn't scheduled to pitch again until next Sunday, and that would be at Toronto with the Astros to follow after that. If that's his schedule, yikes, you can probably move on. Andrew Haney likely won't get many quality starts, but he had his third win Sunday, giving up two runs, one of them earned over five innings, three hits, two walks, struck out six, good rates, good Ks, limited innings, that's the story for Haney. Jose Quintana stays boring but useful, five and two-thirds innings, giving up a run on four hits and a walk with four strikeouts, nothing special but helps your rates, too bad there was no winner quality start. Mitch Keller is kind of maddening, sometimes looks awful, then has days like Sunday where he goes seven shutout Two hits, three walks allowed, struck out six. He gets the Mets next, and I'm staying away. But he's a guy to look more closely at in the offseason because there's something that he's doing right a decent amount of the time. I just can't buy in right now. Taiwan Walker piled up the Ks, striking out 10 over seven, allowing a run on five hits and no walks. Not an every start kind of guy, but Pittsburgh next? Yeah, sure. Jesus Lazardo had been very good lately, posting a 2.73 ERA and 2.70 FIP over his last four starts, but Sunday was a debacle, giving up five runs on six hits, three walks, just three strikeouts in three and a third innings. This won't stop me from using him against the Nats next time out. I'm just writing this one off as a tough day against a strong Mets offense. Earlier this year, I felt like Luis Garcia was establishing himself as a very good starting pitcher, but he's settling in as something a little bit less than that. Sunday gave up three runs on eight hits to the Angels, striking out four and walking none. He's really useful for the Astros, but for fantasy, it doesn't really help your rates. The Ks aren't really that high, so the value is kind of limited. Johnny Cueto has been a great story this year, but the A's got to him for seven runs, five of them earned on eight hits and a walk on Sunday. He K'd just three. He's the featured arm in Nick Pollock's SP Roundup, so do read that for more on him. But the long and short is you can play him against Detroit next if you want, there's real risk that the magic is sort of worn off, and that would mean it was time to move on. Joe Musgrove gave up four runs and six hits over five and a third inning, striking out five and walking one. It was the Dodgers, so you can forgive the poor performance, but he has a start at Coors coming up. He's got another one against the Dodgers coming up. Those are both in the next couple weeks. Yeah, there's a good start before that, but you just got to be ready to roll through that with him. 
Looking at the bullpens, if you've been speculating on the Sox pen like I have, Sunday was a bit frustrating as John Schreiber got his 19th hold in the sixth inning and Garrett Whitlock got his fourth hold in the eighth inning. Both pitched well, but it was Matt Barnes going one, two, three in the ninth with a couple Ks for his fifth save. Before Sunday, the last two Sox saves were last Saturday and Sunday, and Schreiber got both before that. Barnes got another, Schreiber got the one before that, Whitlock got the one before that. It looks to me like it's mostly a two-man committee, though Whitlock could still pop in there here and there. Ryan Helsley gave up a home run but had a cushion, so he still got a 16th save. That home run raised his ERA all the way to 1.26. Not too bad. The Tigers resorted to getting both Joe Jimenez and Gregory Soto work down for nothing Sunday. They have Houston today, so not likely to be needed for a save anyway. In that one, Scott Barlow closed it out up for nothing for the Royals. James Krinchak got his second save in somewhat dramatic fashion thanks to a couple walks that brought the tying run to the plate. He got the ninth as Emmanuel Classe had worked three times in four days leading in. His job was made easier by Jorge Lopez, who gave up two runs and three hits in the top of the ninth, giving Karinchak a three-run cushion. Lopez has been flirting with disaster since coming to Minnesota due to an increase in walks and a decrease in strikeouts. Sunday, he walked two more in addition to those three hits, but both walks were intentional and neither came around to score. He just had some really poor luck. He gave up six balls in play, and none had an expected batting average over 180 yet still allowed three hits. Devin Williams continues to be the primary man in the Brewers' pen, getting his 12th save, but he allowed two runs in the process, though just one was earned. He and Taylor Rogers, who got the hold with a clean eighth, have been alternating saves since mid-August, but Williams is getting the bulk of them. He's got five versus Rogers three. Jose LeClerc locked down his fourth save for the Rangers, striking out two and walking one. Still want nothing to do with that pen. Camilo Duvall got his 22nd save, and this was a four-outer, but he didn't strike anyone out. And finally, hope you didn't have anyone in the Atlanta or Seattle bullpens. Colin McHugh gave up a run, Tyler Matzik gave up a run, Eric Swanson gave up a run, Diego Castillo gave up three runs, and then we get to the fun stuff, the not fun stuff, I don't know what to call it. It was fun if you were watching the game, it was not fun if you roster these relievers. Paul Sewald gave up the final two runs of a five-run Atlanta ninth-inning comeback. That was his fifth-blown save on the year. But he also got the win because Kenley Jansen gave up a pair of solo shots, the first to tie, the second to win the game. That was his seventh blown save on the year. At some point, you have to wonder if Atlanta considers a change of closer, but I don't think we're there yet. With that, let's take a quick break before we turn our attention to the days ahead. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show Welcome back. Let's start off with a quick look at the weather with our friend Mark Paquette. Thank you very much. Even though we have a small schedule, which is rather normal for a Monday, we will have some rain concerns. These rain concerns are going to be uh, centered on a couple of National League 
matchups. The first one is going to be in New York, where the Mets are hosting the Cubs. And the other one is going to be in the Reds, well, I should say in Cincinnati, where the Reds host the Pirates. Neither of these look like, hey, complete fades, can't play anyone. This looks like showery activity there. We'll just have to keep an eye on it if we go through the day. Really doesn't look too bad. Wouldn't fade them right now, but it's just something to keep an eye on. Thank you very much, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Mark. If you're looking for a streamer Monday, it's sort of a short slate, so I would look at Braxton Garrett. He's back from Miami facing Texas in a doubleheader game where some guys may get some rest. Should be in a good position to have a good start. Some weekly lineup thoughts as a few teams have odd schedules this week. Baltimore, Boston, the New York Yankees, Seattle, Washington, Milwaukee, and Colorado all play just five games, while Tampa, Toronto, Cleveland, Miami, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh play eight That's a pretty huge swing, especially when you have fantasy playoff matchups on the line. You swap out, you know, a middle infielder from Washington for one from Cleveland, and all of a sudden you've added three games to your week. That's a pretty big difference. For that light slate on Monday, if you're thinking about what to watch, I would just wait for the last game of the day. Spencer Strider versus Alex Cobb is worth staying up for. That's especially true if you live on the West Coast like me, because then the game starts before seven anyways. With that, you should head over to Pitcher List, check out the Reliever Ranks, Batter's Box, and the SP Roundup. A lot more detail on everything that happened yesterday, everything that's going to happen today and moving forward. After that, enjoy the rest of your Monday. I'll be back with you on the weekend, but the rest of the First Pitch team has got you covered all week long. This has been the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, rate us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at PitcherList, and help support what we do by joining our Discord with PitcherList Plus at PitcherList.com slash plus.